Welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance. Discussing your life as a medical coder, offering coding tips and advice for coding students and professionals. Join us every Wednesday. Hello and welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast. I am your host, Jennifer McNamara, and our program is brought to you from OncoSpark a premier technology-enabled revenue cycle management company. And our goal is to bring you timely industry topics in the field of health information management, as well as tips for work-life balance. If you're a first-time listener, we thank you for listening today. And if you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button or follow us wherever you get your podcast. We do have a disclaimer as usual that our podcast is not to be taken as legal or professional advice. It's based on my 20 years of experience in the industry, and I want to share with you what I've learned and why I love this industry. Today, our goal is to talk about something that's very, very important in healthcare, and that is mastering the maze that is credentialing. Now, today, I'm not going to be referring to provider credentialing because we know that it's a very important step, right? We know that when you hire a physician into your practice or your facility, There is a process that you go through to bring them on board, isn't there? You have to know a lot of things about them. Now, some of those same things that you need to know to credential a provider to hire them into your practice or facility, a lot of those things are still going to be required when you do a, of course, enrollment into a health plan. You do that payer credentialing. And so that's what we're going to talk about today because that is such a necessary thing and Over the years, uh, I've seen so many headaches and had to deal with some of them myself in the past that it comes to be one of these things that you just, some people just don't want to deal with it and they just hope it goes away. But that's not the answer, is it? We know that so many have just kind of dropped the ball. They are saying, I'm going to accept out of network rates because I don't want to deal with this. But you lose so much money. And of course, the patients suffer as well because they're paying, having to pay out of network fees. and, And so that can be a headache. Now, we all know. With the new surprise billing in 2022, that's going to be better for patients in the long run. But for you providers and you clinics out there, if you're not taking those steps or maybe you don't have um, someone um, with the expertise um, on staff, maybe you've thought about outsourcing and you're not quite sure um, who to trust and what to do. Hopefully, like with this podcast today, I can give you some ideas of some of the things that's involved in the credentialing process because maybe you have thought about hiring someone um, or you need more help and you're just not even sure if you're doing it right. And so I'm just going to kind of talk today just about some of the basics that we have to know and then really, really strongly encourage you to make sure that even if you don't know all the ins and outs, you're getting that information from somewhere reliable. There's a lot of information out there. I'm going to put some helpful um, information from resources in our uh, show notes Places you can go to get information. Now, when it comes to like Medicare and Medicaid, it comes to your, um, you know, commercial payers, it's always important to understand their process because some of them require certain uh, things to be done first before you can start the process. And of course, we have acronyms out there like PCOS, right? The uh, system for Medicare. And we have the acronyms like CAQH. So what does that stand for? Well, let's first talk about 
CMF, and the PICO system. That's the provider enrollment chain and ownership system. So this is basically a great way for you to bypass that paper application. And you've seen that and you've done it in the past. Maybe you have been doing this a long, long time and this is how you've done things. But when you heard about PICOs, hopefully we're doing that right. So there's several forms, the 855I and the R and the B, et cetera, right? So you have these forms and they all are for different reasons, right? Different types of enrollments. Uh, whether you're an individual or, you're, of course, you're going to be enrolling in a group, you need to have that set up, right? So you need to be able to first know how that system works. And they have some great um, FAQs on their website. If you're new to that system or you uh, maybe you're starting to learn credentialing, you are of course, been hired to do this by your practice, you work internally, and they just say, hand this off, okay, you're going to start doing our credentialing. They don't want to pay an outside source. They're going to use someone already on staff, and they're going to say, hey, figure this out. It happens. So if that's the case, you know, do your best to learn all you can if you have been given this role and kind of fallen into it. But if you're, an, uh, of course, someone who is looking for companies that outsource, um, try to find one on their website who has all of the um, criteria met that the payers require. Um, usually you'll be able to see results or reviews or something like that, but talk to them, call them, ask them questions. Ask them what their process is, what their turnaround time is. Of course, we know that their fees, of course, are also something that you're going to be looking at. But compare that with your staff costs. Compare that with the salary you're paying someone to do that full-time. You have to include what your taxes and benefits in there. You're paying someone full-time to do that. Is, are you paying more to have two, three, four people do this? Especially if you're a multi-physician, you have several physicians. It's going to a lot of times to maybe take more than one person to help. Um, is the staff you're using in-house that you're paying taxes and all that stuff for, is you, are you paying more for that than you could potentially pay an outside company to do for you who has the resources and has the infrastructure to handle all of those things? And, of course, the most important thing has the know-how, knows how to talk to those payers. And maybe there are people that uh, know about physician contracts. How many of us out there knew there was a difference between just enrolling in an insurance and, of course, negotiating contracts. When you sign up for an insurance, you become credential, you're enrolling with them, and you complete that process, there's a contract, and you have to sign that, and you have to agree to those terms. So we know Medicare has their flat fee schedule, right? It's Medicare and Medicaid, they have a fee schedule, and so we don't need that negotiation, right? But we do have to look at these commercial, these other payers that have specific contracts, I'm thinking specifically United Healthcare because that's a company when we had worked for a, uh, a clinic who also owned the ASC. So it was all in one building. And so we had to make sure that both sides were credentialed, obviously on the you know physician side. Then on the payer side, we had to know, okay, when we do this procedure, there's a product that we have to purchase from a, a tissue bank for the cornea transplants. And we had to purchase that product. And we had to look, okay, how much am I paying out these invoices to pay this tissue bank? I have to get reimbursed for that. And I look in my contract, and you have to have specific language in there detailing how much they're going to reimburse for certain things. Because that's really important. If you can't capture the cost to cover that expense, and that, that's not just the product. You're talking about the time in the ASC, your, your staff, um, all of the operating expenses, all of those things have to be factored in to make sure you're not losing money, right? Yes, you may have, you're may you also going to have your professional side of, of things. You're going to build the insurance for the professional portion. 
and your facility portion. So you have to know all those things, especially if you work and you, you have an ASC, you have all that reimbursement. That's just something to think about if you are in that realm. If you are just in the clinic, of course, and you don't deal with facility charges, um, you def- and you, if you do purchase any product that you expect to get reimbursed for from the insurance, you have to factor those things in. What products do you purchase that you actually bill on a claim that you expect reimbursement for? You need to capture all of those items to make sure that the contracted rate that you're getting uh, or you're agreeing to is going to cover your costs. Now, a lot of people don't know that they can actually negotiate these rates because, and if you do that successfully, you have someone that you know you can trust, you bring in, or that you have on staff that knows how to do that, knows all the ins and outs, know what the insurance is requiring of you and what your expectations are. And you, of course, agree to that. The next step is you sign that contract, then wait for those claims to come in and make sure that you're getting paid what you're actually negotiated. It's very common for insurance companies to expect that maybe you're not going to check that And sometimes it happens where the payment is not quite what was negotiated. So watch those contracts because sometimes the the fees change every year. And if you're not getting updated contracts and if you're not renegotiating those, you can lose money um, a lot of times. So you want to make sure that you are uh, updating those those contracts and making sure it's not an out-of-date contract um, so that you can make sure you're getting reimbursed the the most most up-to-date fee schedule. I want to thank our sponsors over at OncoSpark for designing a platform that streamlines and standardizes the authorization process. As we know, the barriers for practices and patients due to prior authorizations are a clinical and a clerical issue. This new tool, AuthParency, optimizes staff and resources while decreasing the time that a patient must wait. This platform will seamlessly integrate with your practice management system and your electronic health record, alerting you to expiring authorizations or order changes. AuthParency's reports can also be used for internal development as well as payer and pharma accountability. Direct insurance verification and specialty pharmacy hub enrollment are standard modules in the platform too. So jump on over to OncoSpark.com. That's www.oncosparc.com and look at their technology solutions. We're also going to put the information in our show notes. Schedule your demo for AuthParency today and get started with this amazing tool. Next, I want to talk a little bit about the process itself. Now, there are things that we want to understand when it comes to the process of credentialing. Now, I know I talked previously about uh, PCOS, right, the system for Medicare, but when it comes to your commercial carriers, those outside of Medicare Medicaid, um, there are some that use a system called CAQH. Now, CAQH stands for the Council for Affordable Quality Healthcare, and they are more than just a credentialing organization, but they do have, of course, the website that we use, the uh, CAQH ProView. Uh, which was launched um, back in the early 2000s. And this just kind of helps you what, connect to all those physicians and, and professional providers and connects them to all of the health plans that use CAQH uh, to monitor um, those things. So when you're looking at CAQH, we know that some payers don't accept it. That's not what they use. But for those that do, they actually use this uh, system. They pull provider information 
when they're going through your application. So they want to make sure you're on this. So it's really important that uh, providers um, do get set up on CAQH for the insurance payers that they will most likely accept that do pull information from CAQH. So it's really important to understand. It's very important that we have it. And we want to make sure we, of course, submit that application, make sure we've always, any application you do, right? You always want to print off a copy. You want to make sure you have that copy. Same with your contracts. Make sure you have that physical contract printed out, kept somewhere safe, um, because you always want to have a reference to that. You don't want to get it, have it lost in your emails. You want to, um, or if it's electronic, you want to make sure you print out a, an actual copy of it. Um, so you have that. Um, so it's common, right? For things can happen. We're all imperfect. Everyone working at every company behind the scenes, they're imperfect. They're gonna make mistakes. They may lose things. They may forget to send things. So always keep a checklist of what you need to have um, and what you, of course, submitted and what you need to submit. So that you know exactly what is, is of course, pending. So make sure and get very organized with that. And always, always, always follow up on those application statuses. Don't let them just get lost and don't just forget about them because you assume the provider or the uh, the payer is going to you know automatically you know come back to you. But they may, of course, also make a mistake and forget to respond. And they have so many applications. So it's your job as a credentialing specialist in your clinic or the, the one taking charge in that to make sure that... You follow up on those things. Um, make sure that you have that checklist in place. I've, I've submitted this. I've submitted this. Um, but I still need to submit this. I'm waiting on this uh, from the provider to get this back to me before I can submit this. And if you are an external company, I know it can be stressful, right? Because you have information that's very t- sensitive that only the provider can get for you. So um, obviously those who do this for a living, you know, the company that we work with at OncoSpark, we have a, a credentialing team. And we are very organized when it comes to keeping things in place. We have spreadsheets and we have forms and, you know, automatic um, templates that really help keep us organized. And we know exactly which provider information we need and which is still pending. We keep it up to date. Every person that touches that account should be making notes and keeping up to date. What do we have? What do we still need? Why are we missing this information? Have we contacted that provider to let them know that it's still pending. So we have our PICO system, which is great for automating things. We have our CAQH system for the other payers. Then in the event where you have a payer who doesn't use either of those, and of course, once you just submit the application and it's a rather simple, straightforward process, that's great. Um, But just make sure that you constantly keep up to date on that and that when you use systems like Availity, which we a lot of payers use, well, Blue Cross um, uses that for some of those those things to keep your enrollments up to date. Um, you have your United Healthcare portal. They have their own, of course, system that they use. Um, they're connected to, of course, CAQH, but they also have their own um, system where they want you to keep up to date. If you have to add a location, if you have to add a location to your facility, maybe you're going to start practicing in more than one location. Or maybe you're moving to another facility, and but you still um, need time to, of course, get that moving in process, but you still need um, to keep that other location active until it's completely closed down. So you have to add a location, right? And then once you're completely over there, seeing patients, and you're ready to go, then you can, of course, close that other location. But you always want to make sure that you have all of those bills out, that you have everything out that goes to that location so you don't lose um, any of that in the shuffle. 
But some providers, of course, yes, they have several locations and it's a constant thing. Some of them have three, four, five locations. And then maybe you own, like I mentioned, ASC. So you have to keep that up to date. You have a lot of things moving. So if you don't have um, a qualified staff in place that knows every aspect of the credentialing process, you could seriously harm the revenue in your, in your practice or your facility. Now, for larger facilities, they may have more infrastructure and more revenue that they could actually hire in a house staff, those that are experienced. But for those small practices who just don't have the revenue to hire a full-time person, you might be in a better position to hire an, out, an outsource your uh, credentialing to, to a company that knows what they're doing, that they, they have the infrastructure. And so you're actually going to save more money because without the credentialing process, you're not going to get paid those in-network rates. You may actually even be denied claims if they don't accept out-of-network um, providers. So you really need to be careful of that um, because there, there are some that in, in some states as well. So do you know your state requirements? Do you know your state regulations? There's a lot of things when it comes to the process, not just of the provider credentialing. If you have that, you have to do first, of course, but the payer credentialing, it's a, its own animal. And so if you're just letting it go thinking, okay, it's not really that important. I want to focus on seeing my patients. Well, that is great. We definitely want you to focus on seeing your patients. So please reach out to, to us or to an, um, someone that you trust to really, really get uh, the right people in place. So you don't have to worry about that thing, that item. You don't have to worry about getting that information done timely and correct because if you don't know how long it takes to do an application for Medicare or Medicaid or some of these payers, it can take up to 90 days or more um, to get all this in place. And so if you're starting to build claims and you're not credentialed um, or maybe you're holding your claims but you, some of these dates of service were not in that time frame when you were approved to be credentialed and enrolled with that provider, then you're potentially going to lose a lot of money if you do not wait and do things the proper way. So I know sometimes things are moving, they're fluid, and you, you have to keep moving. So just know ahead of time that there are times where if this happens to you, you are going to have to eat some of that cost and, you know, just be aware, read your, the explanation of benefits very carefully, um, read carefully um, the insurance requirements um, if you can bill the patient for that out-of-network rate. Because if you can and your patient isn't aware of that at the time, there could be some backlash there and some, you know, patients not being very happy. So my, of course, always, always when I train front office staff, when I go into a clinic and I help them with their processes and they're in their process improvement, I always meet with the front office staff and I, I want to ask them questions about what do they do when the patient comes in and the forms that they have. I want to look at them. I want to see what they say. Are the patients aware um, of a procedure ahead of time? Do they know that you've checked their insurance beforehand, that there is a prior authorization in place or... If you've checked their benefits and you say, okay, we are out of network with your insurance plan, so this is what your potential uh, re requirement uh, repayment would be because you're going to pay a, a higher rate since we are out of network. Now, if the patient could have gone to another clinic and had been in network, they would have preferred to know that information ahead of time, right? Yes. But then again, the other side of the coin, as a patient, it is your responsibility technically, right, to know your policy, to know that you're seeing a provider in your network. 
So as a patient myself, that is the first thing that I even think to do is look on my website for my insurance and find my providers that are a network. I type in my specialty, what kind of physician do I need to see? Um, are they in network? And I call them. And then when they're asking for my insurance information, I always ask them, can you check to make sure that um, you are in network with my insurance? I mean, that's the first thing I always do because I don't want surprise bills. Now, again, like I mentioned with 2022, that might change a little bit as a patient, but for the time being, you know, please, please, please make sure that you are um, always telling your patients um, the right information, that you're being upfront with them. I'm doing your due diligence, um, but again, make sure that wording, that language is in your paperwork that you give them so they so you, they sign it. Hopefully, they're reading that, right? Hopefully, they're reading the information that's in there um, and the paperwork they're signing, right? They're putting their name on that on that piece of paper, so hopefully, they're reading it. I know you get in the office, you get busy, and you're, you're trying to just get through all those five, six, seven pages, right? And you don't read all the fine print. When it comes to those financial pay- pages... We know your demographics is one thing, but when you get to those financial pages, as a patient, I caution you to read those carefully. Read the fine print to make sure you know what you're signing. Um, but again, as a, a office or a clinic, make sure that you are looking at your payer, um, you know, res- correspondence that those EOBs, explanation benefits that you read. Where if it tells you, you can, of course, this is the patient responsibility. Or if you have to accept that and there's no payment. So then again, there's also the other side of the coin. Sometimes if you're out of network, they do send the the check to the patient. So always uh, be looking at um, all the variables, all the things that could happen. Be on guard. Always follow the money. Follow that money. Where is it? Where did it go? Why did I get it? Be on, on task and on it. And because it's your money. You have provided that service. Your Your clinic has And so your staff should be well-trained and ready to follow that money and find it for you to make sure that you get reimbursed for the services that you're providing to your patients if you're a physician or a mid-level. Now, I'm not here to talk about all of the ins and outs of mid-level credentialing because that's its own animal, but when it comes to those credentialing processes, just make sure that you've done your research. Make sure you know each payer requirement, your state laws. Make sure you understand the requirements um, that Medicare has, that Medicaid has. Now, when I credential my provider, I know Medicaid here in Arkansas, in most states, they're not going to credential uh, my providers unless I can show them my Medicare enrollment. So that's usually the process. So uh, when I did mine, I knew I had to do Medicare first, and then they needed that information, right? And then they needed to match. Every single thing needs to match. Now, if you have an application out and you don't hear back for weeks and weeks and weeks anything, then you may want to check because there might be something wrong. Now, you don't always get a follow-up. You don't always get a message back from the insurance saying, oh, we can't process your application because this is missing. Sometimes you don't get those emails. You have to go log into the portal and you need to check the status yourself. That's where you're going to find the information on the status of your enrollment is by logging in to their system and checking that status. Then you can see, okay, this doesn't match. I put this information in, but they're showing this. So I need to fix this in order for it to match. We had an issue a while back where um, one of the Medicaids, they looked on the portal and whatever information was put in on the address, the suite number was slightly typed wrong, right? And so obviously that's not going to match what um, the National NPI Registry said. So We had to fix that with Medicare first, and then we had to get that fix updated 
then we could go ahead and reprocess it with Medicaid. And so those things happen. And so you really need to be aware of what is happening at all times. Now, there are some payers, I'm going to think off the top of my head, like TRICARE, right? Sometimes they don't even allow you to enroll because they have a cap maybe, or they're not allowing certain providers to enroll at this time. It happens. So we had to wait several months, and then we got the letter that, okay, we're now approved to enroll. Um, we, we were able to do that. So always, you know, update your, your clinic, your provider, um, their, of course, administrative staff, those that own the practice, make sure they're always aware as well. Keep them informed of the status of these payers. So if a patient calls, maybe you have um, a clinic that routinely refers to you, right? Um, but you have maybe a lot of patients have a certain insurance and you're not credentialed with that. That's going to really hurt your business because they're going to go elsewhere if they find out that you are not credentialed. Uh, and that could, of course, be a detriment to your practice revenue and you could lose patients that way, especially in areas where it might be common for them to have the same insurance. A lot of them have the same insurance. If you live in an area where you have major employers that have a certain insurance, but your practice is not in network with that particular policy, that particular plan, right, an employer plan or something, then you might lose out on business if you live in an area where there's a large corporation that employs a lot of the town, <laughs> then you're going to possibly uh, have an issue there. So be aware of some of those things. Now, I hope, you know, this kind of gives you a little bit more information, some of the things to, to take away. Um, but I really encourage you to just understand all of the ins and outs as much as you can. Um, get your checklist in place. Um, get organized. Um, get on your payer websites and understand their requirements. Um, go down the list. We know your major payers, right? We have Medicare, Medicaid, or your state Medicaid agencies. They may have be called something different. Maybe you have these other alternative Medicaid plans. Aetna, Cigna, United Healthcare. They all have their own individual websites, right? There are some other websites that they use that are kind of like automated systems, right? That kind of automate things for updates to enrollment that you want to use, like Availity, uh, for instance. But uh, make sure you're always checking with the payers individually and call them. You may think your application is complete, everything's, everything's great. Maybe there was something missing and you didn't get that information to them and you aren't completely enrolled. So always, always check that. Um, it's really important. Now, um, you want to understand, um, of course, the difference between, um, you know, all the processing times. You want to know, ask them how long is this application typically going to take and make sure to keep that information written down somewhere so you can inform your providers. They know, okay, um, this in insurance company, um, we're about this many days out, this many months out from being approved. And as soon as you get that approval, update your staff, update the front office so they know, okay, yes, we can start scheduling patients with this insurance, or maybe we have an effective date. And they say, okay, this is going to be your effective date. You know you can't see patients you can't bill anything um, outside of that effective date, right? Um, if you did bill it, there would be a denial. So in our case, when we had to move quickly and, and update a provider, he was moving to a new clinic, starting a new group. He already was um, enrolled as an individual provider. We had to, of course, credential the group. And then we enroll the group. We had to then attach that personal NPI, his individual NPI, to the group, all of the process. So they know that this group is set up legally, right? And this provider legally is attached to that group as performing services at this location for this group. 
They want to know exactly where their services are happening, who is doing the service, and if that entity is legally set up with all the appropriate things, right, legal documents. So once we did that, we knew our effective date. We, we tell them what our effective date we needed it to be, right? And some of them, of course, let us go retro it back to the date we started seeing patients. We didn't bill any claims until after um, we held all the claims until we actually got the approval. But a lot of the payers, they agreed to give us that effective date of when we opened the practice. Now, other insurance payers, they wouldn't let us. They would they they actually said, this is your effective date. So we had told the provider, because you had to move quickly and you wanted to do it, this is the ramifications of it. We're not going to be able to get paid for these services on these dates. So just know ahead of time the ramifications and the loss of revenue that can incur without the appropriate credentialing uh, being done. So I thank you for listening today. It's always my pleasure uh, to uh, talk about anything coding and billing, reimbursement, the healthcare industry, work-life balance. And you know, as I always say, knowledge is power. The knowledge you gain today makes you powerful tomorrow. Never give up, keep learning, and keep growing. This has been Jennifer McNamara with Life as a Coder. I want to thank you to our sponsors at OncoSpark and our amazing podcast producer, Gabriel Fass with Highland Productions. Until next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Life as a Coder podcast series brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort. It helps us share the show with other coders, students, and professionals just like you. Come back every Wednesday for a new episode. We'll catch you then. Project Resume can make your medical coding dreams come true. From resumes to interview skills to navigating a successful career, Project Resume has the advice you need from coders you can trust. See all that we have to offer at projectresume.net. Be sure to reference this podcast when you place your order.